Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Grace and peace to you. Today we'll be looking at Romans chapter 1, uh, 18 uh, to 23 and a little beyond that. So go ahead and open up to that section of Scripture and we'll read it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is God's word. Well, today, um, hopefully, you've picked up, we're talking about God's wrath. Now, God's wrath, at at first blush, you don't think it's a very popular idea, you know, like no no church body is going to plant a church called God's Wrath Lutheran Church, right? It just doesn't sell, but... If you think about it a little bit deeper, God's wrath is a very popular idea. I, I once heard a, uh, uh, a man on the street interview, a guy was going out and interviewing a pe- people on the street, and he was asking them what they thought about the afterlife. And he got to one guy and the guy said, well, I don't know if there's a heaven, but I sure hope there's a hell. And he went on to explain that all of the wicked things in the world, the evil things that he saw, he hoped that people wouldn't get away with it, right? That there would be justice in the end. And so God's wrath is actually a very popular idea. Um, if someone harms us, if someone dis- like destroys a person that we love, destroys something that we love dearly, we desperately and universally as humans call out for justice, don't we? The problem that we have with God's wrath is that that justice, that wrath might come upon us. And that's why we don't like the idea of God's wrath. Let's dig into this text. And as we look at the idea of God's wrath together today, Uh, I want to have kind of two questions in the back of your mind 
And one is, is, is God right to be wrathful? Is God's wrath right? And is the punishment that God gives, is it fair? Is it fair? So let's take a look at this together. So last week we um, ended here. Um, this idea that God is revealing his righteousness. So God reveals his righteousness in the gospel. And the righteousness of God is kind of talked about in two ways um, in the epistle of Romans. First, it's talked about as God is fair. Like he doesn't judge partially, right? He judges everyone equitably. So God is fair. Uh, the other way that Romans talks about God's righteousness is this gift, this righteousness given to us in the cross of Christ. This righteousness that is given for the sake of Jesus to sinners. God's righteousness is revealed there too. But here we see that as, as God's righteousness is revealed into the world, at the same time his wrath is revealed. And there's striking, a, a striking parallel between these two ideas. Uh, so the righteous will live by faith in the gospel. And then it says this, the wrath of God is also revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel and his wrath is revealed against the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. And that word ungodliness uh, it's a very derogatory term. It just means that people are cutting God out of their existence. They're opposing him to his face. Not unlike what we saw in the reading of the Tower of Babel. Where the people built a giant tower to stick it to God, right? And to make a name for themselves in the earth. Trying to cut him out uh, of their existence. So this is what's going. The wrath of God is coming Upon the earth. And what's interesting about the unrighteousness of man is Paul defines that more narrowly as people who suppress the truth, that they force down the truth even though they know it's not right. And this is the charge being laid against humanity. For what can be known about God is plain, right? Everyone knows, everyone can see it. Why? Because God is showing it to them. And so we have kind of this dual picture happening here that God is like, hey, everybody, look over here. See all these beautiful things I've created. I'm here. I exist. He's actively showing them uh, his presence, his existence by what's been made. And the people are actively shutting that message out. They're actively shutting their eyes, shutting their ears, and actively suppressing this truth. He goes on to explain the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been created, with the verdict being men are culpable for this. That everyone is without excuse because the evidence of God is clear. And so I'm going to dig into this argument a little bit. Because he argues strongly for this. He says his argument basically is everybody knows there is a God. Uh, everyone is aware at some level in their person that God exists. Even the people who deny him. And in fact, the people who deny him are actively suppressing the truth with all their strength, with all their might, so they don't have to deal with him 
and they're guilty because of this. Is that a fair argument? We can know some things about God from creation just by looking, can't we? Um, If you went and saw uh, the Eiffel Tower, you see the intricacy of this tower and the beauty and the, the genius of the architecture, all of the angles being put in the right place and the size and the scope of it. If you saw this, would you say, I bet that just fell out of the sky? Or I bet, you know, if you gave it about 100,000 years, that might just randomly happen. No. You don't have to have a PhD in physics to know that that's not how anything works in this world. That when you see a design, when you see beauty and order and purpose, you know that there's a mind behind it. You know that there's a designer behind it. In fact, uh, the man who created this, Gustav Eiffel, Uh, He's the one who created him and his architects and his builders. There was a mind. There was an intent. And just by looking at it, we can intuitively know that that's true. And you have to suppress the truth in order to say anything different. It's self-evident. So it is with our world and our creation. If we think about this world and all the beauty that's here, If we think about the vastness of the cosmos, the beauty of a child's eyes, if we think about the wonders of our senses and the wonders of the food that God gives to us in this world. Strawberries exist in this world. Have you guys tried those? There's so many wonderful things and they're so tailored for our life and our existence that to look at this creation and say, eh, I don't think it's anything special is beyond foolish. Right? It's suppressing the truth. To look at the design of creation and say there's no designer uh, is not scientific because nothing arises out of nothing. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. It's also just not probable. And so you have to shut down major faculties of your mind to hold that thought in your head. In the past several decades, there's been an alarming set of discoveries in the scientific world about just how finely tuned our universe is so that you can be breathing here today. The more scientists examine the structure and the nature of this universe, and in particular, how perfectly balanced it is for life, the harder it is for reasonable people to deny that there is an architect, there is a divine mind behind the majesty of this creation. For example, the force of gravity that permeates all creation, all the universe, it exists at a very constant rate. It's called the gravitational constant. And if that uh, constant varied by a factor of 10 to the 60th power, so that's for you math people, that's a 10 with 60 zeros after it. If it was changed by a factor of 1 in 10 to the 60th power, none of us would be here today. Either when the universe was expanding, it would have expanded way too fast and been way too thin and cooled out and no stars would have formed, no planets, nothing could have existed. Or if the gravity was just that much stronger, it would have collapsed like a squish bug. Either way, we wouldn't exist. As scientists have discovered this uh, incredible reality, 
uh, they've begun to come to terms with it. Even the famous physicist, Stephen Hawking, who's an outspoken atheist, he even uh, admitted the rem- this, quote, the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. He says it just looks finely tuned. Someone's monkeying with it. Paul Davies, he's another physicist, multi-award winning, top of his league kind of guy. He says this, and I quote, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe, and the impression of design is overwhelming. Of course, We've known this, Christians have known this, and the Bible has told us this for millennia. Like in Psalm 19, uh, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where its voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The argument is, God has shown you, O oh man, that he exists, and everyone knows. And so the people who reject this knowledge are actively suppressing the truth, and upon this, the wrath of God comes. Uh, humans suppress the truth. It's like trying to hold a ball filled with air underwater. It takes activity, and it takes Dedication to make sure that this truth does not escape and pop up against uh, above the surface. You think about this a little bit more. Think about if your parents brought you home, right? Uh, and they gave you a name. And they changed your diapers. And they fed you. And they took you to the doctor. And they make sure that you were cared for. And they watched as you raised. And they bought every single year those school pictures. They bought them every year. And they hung them up all over your house. And so you were surrounded by this reality that you are loved and you are a part of something, a family. But instead of loving them or honoring them, you decided to look right through them. You never ate with them. You never talked to them. You never spoke to them. In fact, you never even said, thank you. You never even said, I love you, dad. I love you, mom. Now, sadly, some kids treat their parents this way. I promise you, it breaks their heart. But this is a picture of our God. His love, his creation. We see it all around us. The fingerprints of his design. And yet the chief sin of man is to look at all of this and not to care, to suppress the truth, to turn away, to look through our God, to close our eyes and to close our ears. Is this what this passage is saying to us? That all humanity treats this way, uh, treats God in this way. And is that a problem? Is God's wrath right? Should he be angry about this? Yes. 
Romans says that this is the problem between us and God. We don't worship him. We don't thank him. We don't care to love him for all that he has done creating us. We don't even recognize his presence, and that is the source of all other sins. It's the heart and the mind willfully suppressing the truth about our loving and creating God. And this willful, willful ignorance and this failure to worship and thank God is what leads to all other sins. Uh, Luther said, if you could follow the first commandment, you wouldn't need the rest of the nine. If you could love God with all your heart and trust him with all your heart and fear him with all your heart, you wouldn't have any problems with adultery. You wouldn't have any problems with anger. You wouldn't have any problems with coveting because God would be your all in all. But the fundamental problem with humans is that they don't do that. And their hearts are turned away. Again, we think more about this. When God created all the cosmos and the world and he put the earth in order, uh, he said to the ants, he said, go and forage, right? Uh, make little tunnels and, and do that. And, and they did, right? They, yes, sir. He created the horses and the wild animals and he said, go and frolic and, and be strong. And they praised him with their strength. They said, yes, we will. Uh, he commanded the oceans, the tide to rise and to fall with the moon. And the oceans went where they, told, they were told to go. He tells the rain to fall on the earth so it will be fruitful and produce food for the humans and for the world. And it does. And he calls the sun to rise every morning. He says, provide warmth and life and energy for this world. And it does. But he calls on the humans. And he says, reflect my glory into this world and bring order and dominion and goodness into this world. And they say, no. No. And they begin to corrupt all of creation instead and turn their hearts against him. They begin to hurt each other with sin and kill each other, abuse each other, seize power and push others down. Is God right to have wrath against these things? Is he right in being wrathful against humans who suppress the truth at all cost so they can try to live as if he did not exist. Is the wrath of God right? Yes, it is. But is it fair? Um, is the punishment fair? My friend, I remember I, I met a guy um, named Jeff. We were um, playing Frisbee together, Ultimate Frisbee. We were on a league and we had a really good game. We were on opposite teams. We were guarding each other, and we both had really good plays, and so we enjoyed the time. And we were sitting together, uh, stretching, you know, old guys stretching <laughs> after, the, after the game, and uh, started to get to know each other a little bit. And he said, okay, uh, Tim, what do you do for a living, right? And I'm always a little shy to tell people that I'm a pastor because they start acting different around me. They don't swear as much and stuff. <laughs> and... Um, but I, so I said, well, yeah, I'm in wine distribution, you know. <laughs> but then he pressed a little more. I said, no, I'm actually a, a pastor. I'm a preacher. Uh, and I said, well, what do you do, Jeff, for a living? And he said, I'm an oncologist. And an oncologist is a doctor that deals with cancer. And I said, well, what, what's that like? 
And he said, uh, day after day after day, what I do is I target uh, toxic, lethal radiation into people's bodies. And I pinpoint it with like a millimeter precision. And I use that toxic radiation to destroy the cancer in their bodies. Wow. That's fascinating. (laughs) Don't you see, this is why God hates sin. God hates sin like an oncologist hates cancer. He knows it's going to destroy his creation. He knows it's going to corrupt our hearts. And so by any means necessary, This God is a good God, and his wrath comes against sin in all creation and even comes against sin in your heart. This sin makes us foolish and darkened, St. Paul says. It corrupts us and causes us to corrupt each other, and it takes over all creation and leads to death. See, humans think we hate evil, We think we hate things like human trafficking. We think we hate things like corrupt politicians who lie and work for bribes. We think we hate terrorism. We think we hate the slaughter of innocent people. We think we hate abuse and racism, but God hates them more. And he hates those things so much that he's going after the source of those things, which is the human heart. God will be rid of sin in this creation. But right now, his wrath is revealed in a specific way. And so what does his wrath look like? Would you look with me into verse 24? He says this. Therefore, God, can you read this with me? Gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So look at that. You can underline that gave them up. What is God's reaction to sin? Is it fair? Is the punishment, is his wrath fair against these corrupt humans? Is is it fair? Well, first of all, we could say he could do a lot worse, couldn't he? Right? He could just snap his fingers like Thanos. No more humans. No more evil. Easy. Uh, He could just rain down fire from heaven, destroy everybody. He could do that, but that's not the picture of wrath that we have here. What's the picture of wrath? His wrath is saying, okay, I'll give you up to the desires of your heart. I'll let you go where you want to go. I'll let you try to live as if I do not exist. I'll give you over to your darkened hearts and your lusts. I'll let you dishonor and degrade your bodies. And hopefully you'll see what happens in this. So we can even say God's wrath as it's revealed here is kind. It's merciful. Can anyone say that's not fair? Because all he's saying is have it your way. Do what's in your heart. No one can reject God's fairness here. He's being completely equitable. In fact, he's only saying that the natural consequences of sin are what is his wrath. 
that he will let those consequences take over instead of stepping in the way and rescuing. And so we cannot accuse God. His wrath is fair. He did this not so that we would be destroyed, but rather as his wrath is revealed against our sins, as we are given over to practice those sins, that his righteousness in Christ would be revealed. That righteousness not in our own hearts that are foolish and dark and because of this sin, but in the heart of Jesus, who always does the will of his Father. It's in the good news of his victory over sin on the cross. You see, God gave us over to the sinful desires of our hearts, right? That's what St. Paul says. But God gave sin over to the body of Jesus. He gave Jesus into sin. Romans 8 says that God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. He parked it there and destroyed it on the cross. He buried it in the tomb upon Jesus himself. God's wrath is revealed as he lets us go our own way, but his righteousness is revealed when he rescues us, even from our own foolishness, by sending Jesus to be sin for us. We see a clear picture of God's wrath um, narrated for us in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. You remember the story. Uh, The son has an evil desire in his heart, right? He doesn't want to live with his father anymore. And in fact, he says, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead so that I could have all your stuff and do whatever I want. And so the father amazingly turns his son over to this evil intent. He gives him all his money that's entitled to him, knowing that that money is going to make his heart worse. And the son goes off. He thinks, I'm free of that old windbag, right? I'm out of here. I'm going to live however I want without the rules. And he wastes all his money on loose living and on parties. His father knows as soon as that money is gone, he's going to crash and burn. And that's what happens. Uh, The son crashes and burns. All the friends he thought he had, when the money's gone, they disappear, they abandon him. And he ends up feeding pigs, right? And he's uh, poor and destitute, taking a terrible job feeding these pigs. And he's staring into the slop, the rotten food that they're feeding the pigs. And he's saying, oh man, that looks pretty good. I wish I could just eat some of that. (laughs) And he's filled with sin. And this is the wrath of his father visiting him. As he's even thinking about eating something as vile as that. But it's this when he's destroyed, when he's run his own course, when the longings of his heart have come back to haunt him, that he finally remembers who he is. He remembers that he used to be the son of a good man who loved him and called him son. And he says, I'm going to go back to my dad. He was, he was actually a pretty good guy. And I'm going to at least beg to be a slave in his house. And so he stumbles his way back to his father. And his father runs to him. Um, this is a picture of da Vinci's. Uh, prodigal son. And I think it does a really good job of showing this picture because the son is running back. He's disheveled. Look at his clothes. 
Can you imagine what this guy smells like? His clothes are falling apart. His head is scabbed, right? His hair is shaved. He's pitiful. He's walked through his shoes. And his father embraces him. Right? There's no more wrath. It's all gone. It's only love. This is the picture of God's wrath for us. When we run back to our Heavenly Father, there is no more wrath. He doesn't hold a grudge. Instead, he picks us up. And one of the most beautiful parts of this story is this man, this father, picks him up and he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't say, now you're going to be a slave and you're going to owe me for the rest of your life. But instead, he puts royal clothes on his back and he puts a ring of authority on his finger and he throws a party because his son who is dead is now alive. This is the picture of God's wrath. God's wrath is only a righteous reaction against sin. When the sin is dealt with, only love remains. And so it is with you. When you run back to your heavenly father, when you have gone your own way for so long and it's broken you down, it's made you miserable, when you realize that you have sinned against God and you run back to his presence, there is no wrath left. Because it has been taken by the body of Jesus Christ, where God condemned your sin in his flesh. All that's left is love. And you are reinstated, not as a slave, but as a son, to worship and to serve God in righteousness and blessedness, both now and forever. Amen.